0: Today I want to conclude our summer sermon series on David the king in the wilderness with a Psalm 109. Why Psalm? What is a psalm? A great 4th century church father and champion of a Nicene faith, the cha- champion of a Nicene council, Athanasius of Alexandria once said, while the most scripture speaks to us, psalm speaks for us. Psalms speak for us. Most of Scripture speaks to us about living God, but Psalms speak for us to the living God. They give us the words and images with which to express the living pulse of our hearts before the Redeemer of our hearts. David wrote many Psalms, 73 Psalms, almost half of the book of Psalms, and we can hear his heart through the Psalm. Through Psalms, we can see the heart of man after God's heart. By heart, I don't mean a pious, sanctimonious, romantic spirituality, but rather a personal, serious, raw, and rugged spirituality. That's why we read Psalm 57 at the beginning of a series. Do you remember David's cry and resolution as he began his fugitive life in the wilderness at the cave of Adolam? That awake my soul, awake a harp and lyre, and I will awake the dawn. I want to end this summer series study series on David with another psalm, like the other uh, book end. I find these are two psalms to be fitting book ends, or inclusio on the study on the life of David in the wilderness. Now, why Psalm 109? Psalm 109 is what biblical scholars call imprecatory psalm imprecatory psalms. to imprecate, implicate means to invoke malediction not benediction malediction to invoke uh, to implicate means to pray for curses so imprecatory psalm is a cursing psalm the book of psalms have uh, several kinds of psalms such as a lament, lament psalm Praise Psalm, Thanksgiving Psalm, Royal Psalm, and Wisdom Psalm. Imprecatory Psalms are unique, even in the Book of Psalms. Since this is my first time to preach on Imprecatory Psalm, and I don't have a plan to preach on another Imprecatory Psalm in the future, let me tell you an important fact about the Imprecatory Psalm. There are 21 Imprecatory Psalms and all of them were written by one person. Guess who? Imprecatory Psalms all were written by David. That means 28% of David's Psalms, about one-third of his Psalms are cursing Psalms. Are you surprised? I was at first. Then I realized that being a man after God's heart was not Easy, like uh, Psalm 23, the cozy romantic journey. But actually, it involves a conflicted, competitive, and risky life. Actually, even in Psalm 23, David mentions God spreading the uh, victory vanquished in front of his uh, enemies. So it actually implies a, a battle and conflict in Psalm 23. David's journey with God as a man after God's heart, involved many fierce battles with many relational challenges, emotional scars, and spiritual outcries. Here, we must reckon with the fact that all faithful people of God in both Old Testament and New Testament, such as David and Paul, they lived life fiercely and fought father good fight and shed their tears and sweats and blood. Through all, they didn't become bitter, but they became better. So now, let, us, let me read Psalm 109. And uh, I want you to feel the intensity of Psalm 109, 109. My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouth against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues, with the words of hatred they surround me. They speak, they attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me, but I am a man of a prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty, and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder fruit of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendant be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May sins of his mothers never be blotted out. May the sins their sins always remain before the Lord, that he may blot out their name from the earth. For he never thought of doing kindness, but hounded to death the poor, the needy, and the brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse. May it come back on him. He found no pleasure in blessing. May it be far from him. He wore cursing as his garment. It entered into his body like water, into his bones like oil. May be like a clock wrapped around him, like a belt tied forever around him. May this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil of me. But you, sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake. Out of goodness of your love, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I fade away like an evening shadow. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees keep away from fasting. My body is a thin and gaunt. I am object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads. Help me, Lord my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. Let them know that it is your hand, that you, Lord, have done it. While they curse, may you bless. May those who attack me be put to shame. May your servant rejoice. May your, my accusers be clothed with disgrace and wrapped in shame as in cloth. With my mouth, I will greatly exalt the Lord. In the great throng of the worshipers, I will praise him, for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who could condemn them. Now, how do you feel about this cursing psalm? Psalm 109 is not only the last of the imprecatory psalms of David, but it is also the strongest and most intense or the worst. C. S. Lewis, in his book "Reflections on the Psalms," comments Psalm 109 strikes us in the face like a heat from the furnace mouth. Definitely this accursing psalm rubs against our civilized ethos. Especially Christian sensibilities. Many of us here now wonder Didn't Jesus command us to love our enemies and forgive our persecutors? I want us to know that imprecation is actually related to intercession. Imprecation and intercession are closely related. Loving God has a fierce side of a hating evil. Psalm 109 gives us three important realization about loving God with all our seriousness and sharpness. So here we need to ask three questions. First question is who and why did David curse? Second question is what did he curse? Third question, what did he do after cursing? So first question, who did David curse and why? Look at the verse of two and five. People who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. they spoken against me with lying tongues. With the words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me, but I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. According to David, his enemies attacked him without cause. They returned his friendship with a false accusation. They repaid his good, with the evil, his friendship with a hatred. Repaying, good for evil, it was a well-known biblical expression of a treachery to betray and destroy a covenantal relationship. Here, one thing we need to notice about David's enemies is that their weapon of choice was words. Their weapon of choice was words. They, David said, verse two, they opened their mouths against me, spoken against me, With the words of hatred, they surround me. And then later in verse 20, again, David said, those who speak ill of me. David cursed those who maliciously spoke against him, falsely spoke about him, and stabbed him with lies and hateful words. Here we must recognize the words can do a great deal of damages. People say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Absolutely wrong. Broken bones can be healed and reconnected, but hearts pierced by words take a long time to heal. Often it's a painful memory lasts for life. Here, David's anger and hurt over damaging tongues of his enemies should warn all of us in this pandemic As we are closely quartered with each other, we need to watch out our mouth and words. Let us watch out not only for virus infection, but our verbal malfunction. Let me repeat that. Let us watch out for our verbal malfunction. Let us remember and repeat the three safe healing words to each other every day during the pandemic, that's which are, thank you, I'm sorry, and I love you. Now, if somebody next to you turn and then say, Thank you, I'm sorry, and I love you. Now, David described evil of his enemy not only once in the verse 2 and 5, but again in verse 16 and 18. He said, He never thought of doing a, a kindness, but hounded death to the poor the needy and brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse. He found no pleasure in blessing. He wore cursing as his garment or clothing, and the cursing enters his body like a water, into his bones like oil. They are simply evil and selfish without shame and end. They never entertain any kind thought or compassion for the needy, but they enjoy it. Exploding the poor and torturing the needy. They love cursing others and hate blessing others. They are hopelessly attached to evil. Like they the cursing is their clothes. They wore cursing as their garment. That means they never took off evil. Now, listen to me very carefully. It is a right to desire the punishment and banishment of evil people, and triumph of good people, and rescue of poor and needy. Of course, as a Christian, we pray those who are doing wrong might repent of their sin and find their forgiveness through Christ. But if they reject God's grace and persist in doing harm to others, the only right thing is to desire their destruction and punishment. Isn't that what we did with Al Qaeda and ISIS? 19 years ago, we saw the face of an evil on 9 11 when civilian planes be- were used as a weapons of a choice by terrorists. When ISIS killed innocent people with their perverted religious convictions, we don't just pray for them and ask God to you know, bless them and forgive them, we cry out for God's judgment and call on God's quick and complete destruction on them. If you live in North Korea, Syria, or Venezuela, you see the indescribable suffering of innocent by the evil people, you will pray for imprecation as a part of your intercession. My brother in Venezuela knows a godly missionary pastor whose whole life has been devoted to Venezuelan people and God's kingdom. In one lunch conversation, this godly pastor told my brother, Manuel, it's perfectly okay for us to pray that God just get rid of Maduro and all his evil cronies with whatever means necessary. It is biblical to pray for destruction of evil and the end of terror, for the innocent. Yes, if you know a little bit about Venezuela, you know people don't know how many innocent people were actually killed. You know, people did an uprising, and it was a it was a crushed. Maduro used, it, you know, evilly. He used a collect collectivos in Spanish. He used the uh, he basically hired the gangs in slum, and then killed many many people, many many young people who opposed the government, and they just made it as a criminal, you know, record. It just is just a, you know. A neighbor crimes it's not neighbor crime it was a political assassination of so many people when you confront a horror of evil we must do the prayer of imprecation so first thing we need to do is a confront the horror of evil with a prayer of imprecation or curse Throughout the history, Jewish people love to pray Psalm 109 whenever they, they encounter the evil perpetrators. During the horrible persecution of Antiochus Epiphanes IV in the second century before Christ, who killed many faithful Jews and desecrated Temple of Jerusalem with the blood of a pig sacrificed to the Zeus, his God, every Jewish synagogue and every Jewish home Pray to Psalm 109 against this Seleucid king who wants to convert Israel into a Hellenistic kingdom. Did you know Psalm 109 is also quoted in a very important occasion in the New Testament? When you look at the Acts 120, Peter said, "It is written in the Book of Psalm. They may his place, that means to Judah's place be deserted and let, it, let there be no one to dwell in it. He quoted a Psalm 69. And then he quoted Psalm 109. They may another take his place of leadership. That word is a direct court, court of a Psalm 109.8. May his days be few, may another take his place of leadership. Now, when Judah's tre- treachery was uh, confronted and, and, and Peter was replacing, suggesting, recommending everyone to replace his position with a Matthias. Psalm 109 was cited. Now, let's look at the second question. What did David curse his enemy? David did not simply curse them, but he cursed them so much, so thoroughly Not little, but a long litany of curses was pronounced in ten verses. Look at the verse ten, at verse six. A point someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. Literally the word accuser is a Satan. David curses the enemy to fall into the hands of a Satan. You know this verse made me laugh hard throughout the week because it shows a davis a punky rascal imagination against his evil enemies usually defense lawyer or trusted advisor stands at your right hand imagine satan as your defense attorney defending guilty or innocent is something satan can't and doesn't do the only thing satan loves to do and is good at is accusing don't you remember the story of a Job that he loved to accuse even the innocent and righteous? If a Satan is your defense attorney, game is over. You will find the DA is a kinder than your defense attorney. Look at the verse 7. When he is tried, let him be found guilty. May his prayers condemn him. May the days are few, and may another take his place of leadership. May the children be fatherless. His wife widow. May the children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May the creditor seize all he has. That means send send the collector to take everything from him. May stranger plant the fruit of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take a pity on his fatherless children. May his descendant be cut off. Their names be blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquities of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May sins of his mother never be blotted out. May their sin always remain before God. And that God may blot out not their sin, but their name from the earth. Look at here. David curses the enemy to lose his job, have a short span of life, become bankrupt, his children to become orphans and beggars, eventually his descendant to disease, decrease and cease to exist, his parents to be condemned and never be forgiven, entire family to be forgotten forever. Commentator says that what David cursed here was a complete ruin of his enemy and there was no realm of his enemy's life spared from David's imprecations. What David cursed was so complete, so overwhelming that some biblical scholars say that these curses were not actually David's words. These are the words of the enemies against David, which David just quoted. Noting that David used the plural to describe his enemies in the first section, and here he switched the singular pronoun he, some scholars argue that David was not cursing mercilessly, but simply citing the evil words of his enemy. That's why some English translation, such as a New Living Translation and Contemporary English uh, Version, if you see, okay. They, say, they added this word, they say, and then quote, get an evil person to turn against him and send the accuser to bring him to trial. And contemporary English version also said, my enemy said, and then quote. Now, I investigated this view for two precious days of this week and concluded the majority of our translations are right when they didn't add they say, because a Hebrew text doesn't have they say. It imp- actually, Hebrew text implies a smooth flow between the sections. Now, look at me. I think these biblical scholars and their view was influenced by their discomfort about David's crude, total honesty. And I believe that's a precise point of imprecatory psalms or cursing psalms. Through cursing psalms, God wants us to confess our heart to him with a total honesty. That's a second important point. Not only confront the horror of evil, confess our heart, our honest feeling, completely, totally to God. You know, the most important thing in prayer is honesty. Honesty is the key in any authentic relationship, let alone our communication with the living God. Through example of David who brought out his raw emotion to God, God calls us to bring it all to him, because he can handle our burdens and our hearts. Eugene Peterson makes the point best in his book, Answering God. It is easy to be honest before God with our hallelujahs. It is somewhat more difficult to be honest in our heart. It is nearly impossible to be honest before God in dark emotions of our hate. So we commonly suppress our negative emotions. Or when we do express them, we do it far from the presence. Or what we think is a presence of God, ashamed or embarrassed to be seen in this accursed stained overalls. But when we pray Psalms, the classic prayers of God's people, we find that will not do. We must pray who we really actually are, not who we think we should be. The way of a prayer is not to cover up our unlovely emotions so that they will appear respectable, but to expose them so that they can be enlisted in the kingdom of God. Once Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, God is more pleased with the cursing of heathens more than ritualistic praise of a pious. Let me repeat that. God is more pleased with the cursing of a heathens more than ritualistic praises of a pious God loves an honest heart more than holy heart don 't be pretentious be don 't be don 't pretend to be a holy. What God loves is a broken, honest heart with all the raw emotions that 's where we make a spiritual breakthrough you know years ago jamie and i were much more uh stronger than now in every way and the one time i had a hard time with the jamie so one time i actually called my mother-in-law to complain and that any married man knows that's the uh, option that you don't press that's a world war three so when jamie Heard that, uh, you know, Jamie, you know, heard from her mother that uh, I called called her. And then, you know, her mother, my my angel mother-in-law is, you know, helping me. She was upset beyond the degree. So I learned a lesson. Don't ever call your in-laws, you know, for your marital conflict. And then a little bit later, once again, I was totally, totally exasperated and frustrated Jamie. Uh, I need to call somebody, but I want no one to call. So guess what? I came down to pray again, and then I I screamed inside, Holy Spirit, help me! I prayed that, my gracious heavenly Father. And then right at the as soon as I finished the my gracious heavenly Father, Holy Spirit gave me a word. and twitched my mind. I said, Cry out to Father. Your heavenly father is also father of Jamie. So he changed my prayer that, my gracious heavenly father in law, your daughter is misbehaving. She's hurting me. Do something. Soon as I recognized God is my heavenly, not just my father, but a heavenly father in law, I realized that Jamie is no longer my problem. It's his problem. Lord, my father-in-law gracious heavenly father you have a tr- you you have a problem that, that is your daughter your daughter is is hurting your Godly servant you know so ever since then whenever you know i, I couldn't i need to you know i'm 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 am i'm i'm very frustrated with my beloved wife i call on father-in-law in heaven and peace comes peace comes we can confess our hearts to God with a total honesty because God can handle it all. The God who comes to us in the flesh of Jesus is not afraid of our emotions. He's not afraid of our anger and our hate. God understands us. He became one of us. God can handle our raw emotions for retaliation and revenge. We need not hide and bury and stuff these problematic negative feelings stuffing it doesn't make it go away rather stuffing it makes it make us a captive to it as somebody said whatever we bury controls us or rules us listen to me carefully unacknowledged anger only smolders waiting for some opportunity to explode usually at an inappropriate time unacknowledged anger eats away at us and eventually takes its toll. Stuff your anger at the work, you will kick the dog at home. Stuff your anger at your parents, it will come out in your relationship with your spouse. Stuff your anger at God, it will come out in a bitter and cynical spirit, poisoning your whole perspective of life. This Psalm 109 frees us to acknowledge that We are angry and we want revenge and God can handle it. And God tells us to bring it on. And Psalm frees us to express it all to loving God. You know, this pandemic, as this pandemic goes longer than we expect, and we will feel more frustrated and fearful than before ever, especially in this coming, you know, cold season. Let us live our feelings and desires with a God who can handle them all. Amen? Final question that we need to ask here is that what did David do after his condemning and then cursing prayers? Look at the verse 21. You, sovereign Lord, help me for your name'sake. Out of your goodness of your love, deliver me, for I am poor and needy. My heart is wounded within me. I fade away like an evening shadow. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees give away from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. I'm objective, scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their head and help me, Lord my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. Let them know that this is your hand, that you, Lord, have done it. While they curse, may you bless. May those who attack me be put to shame. May your servant rejoice. May my accusers be closed with a disgrace and wrapped in shame as a cloth. Within my mouth, I will greatly exalt the Lord. In the great throngs of worshippers I will praise him. For he stands at the right hand of needy to save their lives from those who would condemn him. What did David do after cursing his enemies? He fasted himself and trusted God's judgment and most importantly, moved on life, praising God. The great faith that David displayed here was simply committed his enemy to holy God and continued to serve God in whatever God called him. David entrusted his enemy into the hand of God. Here, we have to know this, not because David is unable to vindicate himself, but much more David trusted and believed that God's vindication more than his own. If you look at the verse 26, he said, Help me, Lord, save me according to your unfailing love. And let them know that it is your hand that you have done it. I believe what David asked God to save him was not because he can save himself, but David wants God to save him. We have to recognize David was a king, a popular king with a fiercely loyal warriors and the followers. And David can easily vindicate himself or bring a, you know, wrath his own wrath to his enemies. But what David wanted Is that he wanted people to see God's vindication, not his own vindication? What David wanted more than his own revenge and self satisfaction is people to people, especially his enemies, to see God of justice and justice of God. As Walter Brueggemann said, Yahweh, the living God, is not a soft romantic God who only Tolerate and forgive, but the one who takes this seriously, his own rule and well-being of his covenant partners. The raw speech of a race can be submitted to the Yahweh because there is a reason for confidence that Yahweh takes it seriously and will act. If someone mistreats and tries to harm my children, listen to me, I will now rest until full justice is done. Wouldn't you imagine how much more our heavenly father will avenge for his beloved children for whom he did not spare anything, even the life of our, his own, only begotten son? You know, last verse in Psalm 109 contrasted David's uh, commitment to God with his curse to, for his enemy. Earlier, verse 6, David said, let the Satan stand on your right hand. And this is uh, the last verse, verse 31. Lord, you stand at the right hand of the needy and uh, save their life from those who condemn them. And then earlier, verse 22, David said, I am the needy. I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded. What David wanted was not just a victory over his enemy. You know, what David wanted most in his life is the victory of God. David said, I don't want, it's not that he wants, you know, what David want to say is that not I triumph, but I want God to triumph in my life. Lord, I want people to see not my success, but your success in my life. I want people to see you, not me. That's what David is crying out. That's what he's holding on to. That is where his focus is. You know, later in Psalm 27, 4, David said, one thing I ask for the Lord, this only one thing that I seek is that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all days of my life. What really satisfies us is God and it's a strong presence in our heart. Dear Forrest, in our anniversary, what do we want to achieve? Why we gather together as a church Do we want to be another successful suburban church in Dallas? That's not what I signed up for. I signed up the people to see God through us. When they see for us, when they come to our house, individual house churches, and when they need individual members of a forest, I want people to see God. Not us. Yes, we cannot separate from that, but I want to see God's presence and God's success and God's glory. Not much more than Actually, in spite of our growth and success and glory, let us remember it is God we are after because only God can satisfy us. Let us remember we are in God's heart and Holy Spirit dwells in us. Let's pray.